This is the Image Junkies Podcast, the show for news and documentary filmmakers, with your host, Christian Parkinson. Hey guys, and welcome to episode 7 of the Image Junkies Podcast. Today we're speaking with freelance cameraman Paul Martin. He's based in the south of England and is, and is incredibly experienced. I've known Paul online for a number of years and I've always been a big fan of his work and he's, he's full of useful knowledge. So I thought he'd be a great guy to speak to about what it takes to be a freelance cameraman in this industry. And my God, it's not easy. So hopefully you'll pick up a lot of hints, tips and advice in this podcast, both in terms of shooting and the technology that he's using, but also just the practical side of freelancing in terms of being a businessman and the paperwork involved. I also just wanted to take two minutes to introduce a bit more about myself because I realized we're seven episodes in and I haven't really spoken about myself or mentioned who I am and what I do. So I just want to briefly cover that. I'm a video journalist. I work for a large international news organization. As you can tell from my accent, I'm from the UK, but I'm based in South Africa. I'm based in Johannesburg. And my patch is sub-Saharan Africa and, and pretty much has been since end of 2007. In that time, I've covered all sorts of stories from conflict in Somalia, Ivory Coast, post-election violence in Kenya, the war in Libya. I've traveled um, to Gaza. I've traveled to Beijing for the 2008 Olympics. All sorts of stuff, really. Um, and it's been a fantastic career and, and hopefully has a number of years left, fingers crossed. So I'm the editor of imagejunkies.net, which is a website pretty much uh, that reflects this, this podcast, really. It's aimed at camera people, video journalists, mojos, all that type of thing. And I've written a book called Camera Confidential, which you can find on Amazon. Um, you can also buy the PDF via my website, but do have a look. It's, it's also packed with hints, tips and advice for, for, for anyone really, including experienced shooters, but particularly aimed at those looking to make the transition from maybe filming regional news or local news and looking to develop that further into national and international news. So if you're interested, have a look. And if not, let's get on with, uh, with our interview with Paul. Enjoy. Well, Paul, thanks a lot for joining us, mate. Um, My what, pleasure. What have you been up to the last couple of weeks? Uh, Christian, the last couple of weeks have been manic. Not just the last couple of weeks, actually. I went on holiday in June and I took two weeks off, which for any freelancer, as any freelancer will know, is, is two weeks not getting paid. Yeah. Um, but I thoroughly enjoyed my holiday. And after I came back, <clears throat> I basically haven't stopped working. I've been, um, I've had a couple of days off here and there, but it's been, the last two or three months has been extraordinarily busy and I can't put my finger on why. Uh, not that I'm complaining, of course, because, you know, as a freelancer, you, you, you're constantly thinking about where your next day's work is coming from. Yeah. And of course, when you're working, you're thinking, you know, I'm, I'm earning money. Now it doesn't matter what the story is about, but you're you're earning money. In the last three months, I've I've earned at least twice as much as I normally do. Oh wow! And and for well, exactly wow. For for me, that's fantastic business wise. But quite why it's happening, I I I don't know why at the moment. Um, but but things are things are very good. <laughs> so yeah. Do you do you think that's re reflective of something broader in the industry? Do you think there's a a realization that actually good freelance cameramen, um, are, you know, are important, and actually a lot of organisations have overlooked them for too long, and are now realizing they need you more than ever. I don't think we've been overlooked. I think we just got lost down the back of the sofa for a little while. <laughs> yeah, if that makes if that makes sense to you. Hmm. Um, I, I work with a lot of journalists in local television news, predominantly BBC South and ITV Meridian. Uh, my, my patch is the south of England, basically from Oxford southwards. And there are a, a finite amount of crew in that area. Um, and I've not noticed anybody coming up 
behind me. Right. You know, in terms with, of with, youngsters with the so. full kit. Yeah. Um, there's uh, there's a young lady who's working for ITV at the moment um, that that's got a job there. She she started um, not as an intern but as a as a camera trainee, Ooh. and uh, she's called Anna. Uh, I've got a name here because I, I wrote notes. Yeah, brilliant. <laughs> I've got well a whole prepared. Thing of notes here. Uh, <laughs> Annie, Anna Lucy Churcher, lovely, lovely young lady. Yeah. Um, and and she's the she's the youngest camera person that I know who's working in the south of England. I'm I'm fifty, and there's there's very few people coming yeah. up in the industry behind me with their own kit as a freelancer. I think um, I think the future at the moment is certainly long uh lies along the lines of of getting a job with a broadcaster why do you think rather that is? than going freelance are people just scared do you think of 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 the sort of business side of freelancing and the unknowns i mean that's something you've had to deal with for a, for a long time i going freelance is is not as easy as a lot of people seem to think it may be hmm. and it doesn't matter the industry you're in, whether you're in television or whether you're digging holes in the road or, or whether you're climbing trees to, to cut them down. I, a business is a business and, uh, and you've got to get to the bare basics of running a business uh, as a freelance camera person, whether, whether you're working uh, in the corporate world or whether you're working as we do in the news world, you've got to get your business basics correct because if you don't get your business basics correct, you can find yourself in an awful lot of trouble, not only with the VAT and the tax man, but you know, with, with, um, with corporate law yeah. as well. You know, you, you are, you are bound by the law of the country of the country you're in as to how you must run your business. And, um, and if you don't get it right, it, it, it can take you down. Yeah. So do you think that's what puts a lot of people off, um, a lot, especially a lot of the younger people, graduates and so on, from, from wanting to follow that path? Well, I speak to a lot of people out on the road because like any, like any cameraman hanging around outside court on a, on a wet Monday morning, you get approached by young people, especially in, in places like uh, Winchester or Bournemouth where they have... Uh, and Portsmouth as well, for where they have large student communities, a lot of whom are studying, uh, you know, doing media studies or whatever it is, yeah. th that particular course that they're doing, or film studies or whatever. And I get approached all the time, A, how do you get into the industry? And, and B, what's it like working in the industry? And I always tell them, you know, the first thing you've got to do is make sure that you set up your business correctly because if you can't run a business you won't get very far in the freelance world of television making yeah uh, whether it, whether it's news corporate or drama whatever if you own your own kit and you want to make it you've got to do your paperwork and you've got to satisfy the tax man and the vat man and it's um it, it's it. one thing you just cannot you can't get away with it yeah. like any you know it's like the old saying two things in life <laughs> is is death and taxes yeah um you've got to get your taxes right and you've got to get your paperwork right or you get yourself into a lot of trouble yeah, exactly. I mean, how much how much time do you have to spend dealing with paperwork and stuff as opposed to being out filming? I've got it down to a fine art, <laughs> and it took me it took me years to get to the point where I I know what I'm doing on a day to day basis because when I'm working, obviously I'm generating income. Yeah, which means you've got to generate invoices. When you're generating income and you're generating invoices, you are also generating receipts. So you're, you're making money and you're spending money. Yeah. So you've got, to, you've got to keep your income and your outgoings in, 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 in order. So for me, it takes me probably five minutes a day. And, but that, the thing is, that's five minutes every day that I work. Yeah. So pretty much the first thing that I do when I come home of an evening is is sort out what I've spent 
Yeah. And I write an invoice for the person that I've worked for, whether it be BBC, ITV, Sky, Channel 4, who you know, whoever, whoever has hired me that day. Because I, I found a long time ago that, um, excuse me, I found out a long time ago that if you leave it too long, that paperwork and that, that, that invoicing and your, your income and your cash flow will will soon get itself into a certain point where you, you might find yourself in trouble so if you keep on top of it every day or two days then you, you shouldn't be you shouldn't find yourself in that sort of trouble um but it's it's something that has definitely got to be done yeah and have you got any any sort of uh, practical tips that have helped you over the years in terms of keeping on top of all that stuff for anyone listening practical tips um well or- or, or even just routines. This, all, this always helps. And for, the, for, the, for those that are listening to this and not are on the video, um, I have a fine South African peanutage here, as does Christian. I was about to say, as do I. <laughs> and I'm sure mine cost about 10% of the cost of yours. Practical drink, uh, tr- practical tips, uh, drink heavily and often. No, no, that's... <laughs> no, it's um, practical tips. Um, once you've got yourself sorted out as a freelancer, it's it's a case of whether you go down the limited company route or whether you go down the, um, God, it's been so long since I was one. What's, what's the other word for it? Oh, I don't um, know. I'm, I'm rubbish at this stuff. I've been a limited company now for so long. A sole trader. That's right. it. Okay, you're, yeah. you're either a sole trader or you're a limited company. Um, and I, I thoroughly recommended being a limited company because it completely separates your personal from your uh, business life. Mm. And once you've got that sorted out with the correct people like um, HMRC and Companies House and various people like that, and once, you, once you've got into a rhythm of what is required once every year or once every quarter for the VAT man, for example. Yeah. Once you've got into a rhythm of getting that correct, then then life is 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 quite easy. But it, it takes a bit of understanding as to what is actually required legally to be in business as a as a television news cameraman. Um, and I, I I found that being a limited company myself was was the best way to go. I was a sole trader for a number of years. Um, but then I started spending a serious amount of money on various cameras and, and various things like that. And I thought, really, I should be claiming the VAT back and all the rest of it because it was a serious amount of money. So I went limited company and that worked for me. Oh, brilliant. And, um, and I mean, is that what you'd recommend, uh, you know, new people coming, coming through setting up as freelance should pursue that option? Or is that something they'd maybe look at further down the line, do you think? I think the main thing is is to first and foremost get yourself established as a freelancer. That, that's the hardest part of your career is actually getting known by the people who are going to hire you. Um, secondly, when they do hire you, there's no doubt about it. They prefer to deal with a limited company right. because uh, they they know that you are that you are correct and regulated and you are doing the right thing. But that's not always the same as being um, a sole trader, because you can be a sole trader and do the right thing. But there's no doubt about it. Dealing with limited companies is what people prefer, yeah. because they know what they're getting. Yeah. Okay, no, that, that makes sense. And thanks for, thanks for sort of filling us in. I mean, this is an area I know next to nothing about. Um, but I mean, one thing you did touch on there about getting work and so on, um, you know, when you first start as a freelancer, let's say, you know, you were starting out again, how would you advise people to sort of go about trying to get work these days? Because, you know, I know the market is, or at least it appears to me, fairly saturated and quite hard to Mm. get your foot in the door. Is there any tips you might have for people? I've, I've been saying for a long time now, Christian, that I wouldn't want to be a 20 year old Mm. right now trying to get into this business um is the market saturated i don't think so i think it entirely depends on what kit you decide you want to buy and to which market you're going to go into if you're going to become a news cameraman or a news camera person sorry because there are plenty of good ladies out there doing the job um 
Oh, that, that's that's really tough. What do I yeah. say to somebody who wants to go into the business now? The, the, the fact remains that you've got to go out there and make films and catch somebody's attention who maybe will want to hire you to make a film for them. Yeah. Um, and catching the attention of uh, a news editor is, as you know, is is a damn difficult thing to do. When I started... Uh, in 97, I basically turned up at the BBC and told them that I had an interview when I didn't have one. <laughs> it, was a, it was a strange thing. I, I, I went down the normal sort of route of writing emails to people and letters and, and various things, offering my services as a freelancer. I bought a camera. Um, and basically, I taught myself how to use it. I'd never done a, I've never done a television course in my life, whether cameras or television production, nothing. It's, it, it's something that I taught myself, mainly on the job. But obviously, when I started, I had nothing on my CV except British Army 86 to 96. Yeah. And that's all I had. And um, everybody pretty much turned my turned me down for work you know I was I was touting myself as a freelance cameraman and they were saying well who have you worked for what have you done you know where can we see your stuff uh, and basically said you know well I'm starting out you know give me give me a break yeah um but no one wants to take the risk do they everyone thinks their neck is on the line and if they give you a break and you mess it up they'll look bad is that sort of what, what stops well there the was there was that there was that sort of feeling that I was getting, but the main feeling that I got was, well, you know, we've got cameramen, we've got cameramen coming out of our ears. What, what, you know, why should we take you on that, um, that has nothing on their CV, no history in, in television news making? Why should we, why should we take you on? And that's if they ever replied to me in the first place. Yeah. You know, there were so many, CVs and and begging letters basically that I gave out to people like Sky and IT all the majors you know Sky ITN um, ITV BBC all all of the rest of them and basically nobody uh, got back to me saying yeah yeah come and come and work for us um, and I spent six months with actually absolutely no work whatsoever in ninety uh, seven early ninety seven. And Kit was expensive was one... in those days as well, wasn't it? You must have made a big investment. Yeah, I basically spent around about £18,000 of my own money on uh, camera equipment and a, a microphone right, and right. a small set of second-hand sticks that I could put my mic... So basically, I, I had a, a, a Beta SP camera, a microphone and a set of sticks. Right, uh, right. I didn't even have, Well, I didn't even have a top light. You know that Gosh. that's that's how much of my money, my own money that I'd spent. Um, I'd spent a lot, and I taught myself how to use it over a number of months, just basically reading and watching the news. Mm. Um, but I'd made this little film on Beta SP, unedited, but I'd I'd done a load of interviews and GVs with <clears throat> basically tree dwellers. They were. They were living in trees along the side of a main road in the south of the UK that was due to get all chopped down and made this, into a big motorway. Was this sort of motorway. swampy and all those guys, that sort of thing? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm. It was exactly those types. And I, I, I went along to them and said, look, can I do a couple of interviews with you and, and film the way that you're living? And they said, yeah, go ahead. So I did that. And I had, I had this Beta SP tape in my hand for about two or three months. And there was this one guy at uh, BBC South Today who I basically I just could not get through to. Mm. You know, every time I rang up, I got through to his PA or I was stopped on the phone by uh, various people saying, yeah, he's in, but he's very busy today. He'll call you back. And obviously he never yeah. did. Or, yeah, he's he's not about today. He's at meetings in London. I, basically, I couldn't get through to him. Um, and after about six months, I was pretty much about to give up on the whole idea of being a cameraman. I thought this isn't oh, wow. going to work for me. Yeah. And I rang up South today again and said, uh, can I speak to uh, the news editor? And they said, 
the same old, well, he's in, but he's very busy, you know, he'll call you back. And I said, right. I said, right. I said to myself, I thought, they said he's in. Mm. I know where he is. Yeah. <laughs> so I drove to <laughs> Southampton with my camera in my hand. Yeah. I, wa- I walked in, I walked into the, um, the reception area there and said, hi, my name's Paul. I'm here to see Mr. Henderson. He's expecting me. And, uh, you know, obviously he wasn't, but God bless him. He came out 20 minutes later with his diary going, I'm, I'm sorry, who the hell are you? Oh, brilliant. Um, and I, I saw no traction in sort of lying to him from then on. And I, I said, look, I've been trying to get to see you for the last six months. I, this is who I am. This is the kit I've got. Here's my tape. And he said, come in. Gave me a cup of tea, sat there and watched my film. And he said, um, well, and this was 97, don't forget. He yeah. said, the general election is just about to come up. Things are going to get busy. And this was before the time of VJs and, you know, all yeah. the small cameras and, and journalists with cameras and all the rest of it. A cameraman was a cameraman and the editor was the editor. And, yeah. you know, it was those days. And he said, we are going to get busy over the next two months because the general election is coming up i'll give you a day's work tomorrow uh, basically if you know if it doesn't work out or we or we think you're you're not the type to do this sort of work then i won't i won't call you back um i'll hire you here's a hundred pounds that's pretty fair so i said thank you very much i went to work for him the same day uh, the next day and my very first job was um was covering the the then oh michael portillo right okay michael portillo came down to eastleigh uh on the campaign trail and i filmed him as the second camera to one of the staff cameramen um i came back and one shot of mine made it to air that (laughs) evening and i was elated i bet and basically, I, I've been there ever since. That's, that's, that's how I started. But you know what? I think there's some really important takeaways there for, for anybody listening. Firstly, yeah. the fact that you took the chance to go out and buy your own kit. You know, too many mm-hmm. people, I think, wait before they do that. And secondly, you went out and filmed stories without anybody asking you to do so because you knew you needed to get that showreel together. You knew you needed to get something on tape. And uh, yeah. that's another thing I think people are too slow doing in general is actually just going out and making their own films, you know, whether they've been commissioned or not. Um, and, and thirdly, having the, having the balls just to, to go along and sort of blag your way in, which again is a, I, I, I fear maybe well, becoming a lost art. I, I put that down to being in the army for 10 years. Yeah. In the fact that uh, I know that nobody's going to give you a leg up. Mm unless you do some serious work yourself to get into a point where somebody will give you a hand. Yeah. Um, and I think, I, I think Craig, Hen- Craig Henderson was his name, uh, who was the news editor at the time. He, he gave me a day's chance and he's the man that, that made me into the cameraman that I am today by giving me that one day's work to, to, to show them that I could actually do this. And and yes, you've got to have, you've got to have a bit of nous about you to go out and do the news. It's not just a case of you know standing in the one spot with your camera and pointing it in the right direction. You've got to have a bit of nous about you to find out a what the story is, b how are you going to get that story, and c what it takes to get the right pictures to tell the story that your journalist wants. And and that doesn't come by. I don't think, uh, yes, it comes by training, but it, it comes by being out there day to day doing that work yeah, definitely. And, 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 and finding out what it takes to, to, to put a news piece together. Um, there's, there's no two ways, two ways about it. Being on the ground is the best training ground ever and being in an edit suite. Very true. Yeah, and that's that's where I learned that's where I learned the craft of being a cameraman was because uh, during that first six months, that I was at BBC South, I basically kept my gob shut so nobody noticed me and they kept hiring me every day. Uh, I kept my gob shut and when I wasn't out actually filming small things for them, I spent my time in the edit suite and that's where I learned how to see, couldn't shots, when to pan, when to tilt, 
how long a shot should be, how to frame. You know, I learned so much from the editors at BBC South in the uh, in the in the mid nineties than I ever would have been out on the road. Yeah, no, I think that's a valuable point actually because shooting and editing essentially are two sides of the same coin, aren't they? And um, I think until you've sat in an edit suite, when you're you know in inverted commas just a cameraman. Sometimes you lose touch of how the pictures are actually going to be used, so it's really, really good to to get that experience. And well, I I fell into the trap quite early on because, as I mentioned earlier, you know this was the days before VJs and shoot edits because you know laptops didn't edit. <laughs> you know, it's um, I I I thought I'd made it one day when my tape went into the three machine edit suite. Oh, right, I was the like, fancy dissolves. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I was over the moon when one of my stories made it into the three machine edit suite because it meant they wanted to do a fade on it. Yeah. <laughs> I remember know, those. This was a huge room full of humming machinery that um, that was just amazing to me. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I, I fell into the trap quite early on of being a cameraman. Um, and that's what I was, uh, that's what I was, I was always told you're a cameraman, you're not an editor, you're not a journalist, you're a cameraman, you're there for the pictures, you're the pictures man, you're a lens man. Yeah. And, and I went along with that for quite a number of years until, um, until things like laptops started to be able to do non-linear editing. Um, my first laptop that I've got is still up there in the corner, had Avid on it okay yeah with the old dongle that you used to have to put in yeah that was such a pain and you used it? to have to register the dongle and if you didn't have the dongle your avid wouldn't work and all the rest of it yeah um and i basically came to the conclusion that if i if i wanted to survive in this industry then it's a no-brainer that you should be able to edit your own pictures yeah um what, unfortunately what for you sort of started you know, moving down that road. When when was that? Not until reasonably recently, Christian. Because what I found was, especially in regional news, which is which is my main client base. Yeah, is the fact that um, even even today, what they want what what they want from you mostly is to shoot the pictures, cut it down to a certain length enough so so you can send it back on uh, JFE. Sort of um, for it to be edited FTP, back in yeah. the in the newsroom. Yeah. Um, so I, I learned I learned how to shoot and cut and and cut out a, a certain amount of stuff. But the, the actual art of editing a story together was was still out of my grasp, as it were. Yeah. Because they never asked me to do it, and I was getting quite frustrated because I wanted to edit. But I was never given the chance to edit my stories until um, about a year ago. Um, and when I finally came across Final Cut 10, because I was, I was on Final Cut 7 for a while, and it was always sort of, you know, cut the basics, send it back, cut the basics, send it back, and they'll finish it off back at base. But now that I've got Final Cut 10, I have found it liberating, to be fair, it's yeah. it's so intuitive and so and I wouldn't say easy because you still got to have that sort of mindset and that's that pictorial sort of guidance that's in your head to be able to put a story together that flows well mm. yeah. and that sounds good. Not just looking good, but it's gotta sound good. Like like your last interview with Rick. Mm. Um yeah, you know, Porsche, sound yeah. is all Sound is all important. If you if you forget your sound, then you can ruin a film, no matter how good your pictures are. Exactly, exactly. Um, but I did. The, the BBC were good enough to to give me four and a half hours with uh, with a Final Cut Ten tutor. Ooh. And the the course is about the normal course for BBC employees is three days. Yeah, I got four and a half hours. <laughs> the joys of being um, freelance. Well, exactly, yeah. But, uh, you know, th th they paid me to go there, so I was quite happy. Yeah. And, and I'd, I'd basically been teaching myself Final Cut 10 for about a month or so before. So I'd, I'd got the very basics. Yeah. And that's the beauty with YouTube these days as well, isn't it? Any, you know, you, 
I'm, I'm pretty sure you can teach yourself almost anything these days on YouTube. Yeah, I've, I've, I've watched so many different YouTube videos on how to edit. But the, at the end of the day, like like being a cameraman, the, the only way to really learn is to actually go and do it. Yeah, up against um, it as well I, when you've got a, this... a hard time constraint. I always find that that makes you a much better editor, doesn't it? When It's easy when you've got all day, but when someone says, right, we've got an hour and a half, that's when you sort of really start to learn editing, isn't it? Absolutely, it is, and 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 you know what? Three days after that four and a half hour course that I did, I edited a three and a half minute piece for Breakfast News. Right, how oh, brilliant! Um, and that's the best training uh, you could have. Well, when when Breakfast News called me, they said you're a shoot edit, right? And I said yes. <laughs> <laughs> and and they said, well, we've got this film we want we want to do. Um, it's, it's, it's a sort of morning and afternoon shoot and then an, an afternoon, early evening edit. And I said, I said to myself, do I tell them that I've only just gone across to final cut 10 or do I just take this job? And I thought, you know, me being me, I just said, yeah, I'll take the job. Yeah. I, I can do this. And, um, you know, I, I edited that piece, which ended up as three and a half minutes and I did it in two and a half hours flat. Nice. with Final Cut 10, because just because of the fact that Final Cut 10 is is an intuitive piece of kit and it's non-destructive. So I found it reasonably easy to correct the mistakes that I was making without being sort of found out. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but now I love editing. Um, and, and the very, one of your videos, in fact, about the masking. The oh, masking okay. tool. Oh, yeah, yeah. I watched that twice, and I've got that down pat now. Oh, brilliant. Yeah, it's a lot easier um, than people think, isn't it? Once you, once you have a go, you think, oh, wow, this is pretty straightforward. Yeah. Well, I've always said, you know, if you, if you don't think you can do it, well, you won't get anywhere in life if you keep thinking you can't do it. Yeah. <laughs> go out and do it. <laughs> go out and do it. If you've got a camera, go out and make a film. Hmm. If you don't know how to edit, well, get yourself iMovie and spend a day learning how to edit that little film that you've made and you know one day when you take it to somebody who matters they might just see something that can give you a career for the next 21 years like i got yeah there's no reason why there's absolutely no reason why at all that anybody with an ounce of 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 news gathering mouse about them can't make a freelance life for themselves yeah I mean, uh, one of the questions I get asked all the time by people is, oh, you know, they, oh, I, I'd love to do what you do, but I can't afford the kit, and, you know, so therefore I can't train. And I always say, what, do you not, do you not have a phone? Like, can you not just go yeah. out and, and make a film on your phone? I mean, you can get really good shooting and editing software on your phone for, like, total, total cost of, like, £20, probably, that is more than good enough to go out and just practice with. I mean, you might not want to you know, use it for the, the, the lead, um, the lead film on the 10 o'clock news bulletin. But I mean, you know, for practicing or, or for, like, yeah. for websites and stuff, it's perfect. But I think people, you know, in general, like to always have an excuse why they can't quite do it, don't they? But well, they, they see guys like you and me out there with, with reasonably priced kit. And especially with me, you know, with my, with my big satchel of legs yeah. and my big camera and my top light and a big, 416 microphone and you think that's what i need to go out and do news well in this day and age no it isn't yeah and 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 uh, and i've got to learn the fact that it might not always be me and my big camera going out to film the news anymore you know you only have to look at when disaster strikes in any part of the country whether it be terrorist attacks in london or new york or to places like uh, in Africa, you know, the, yeah. the, the raw footage coming out is being done by an iPhone. And, and uh, even the iPhone that I'm speaking to you now on does 4K, for God's sake. Mm. That's right. You know? Yeah. And, and if, you, if you can afford an iPhone or an Android, it doesn't have, sorry, it doesn't have to be an iPhone, of course. But if you can, aff if you can afford a reasonably good phone that shoots HD video and you've got iMovie, uh, or something similar on a laptop or on your phone even then you can make films now there's there's no uh, it's certainly not a backward step it 
it's it's a forward step in being able to learn how to make films and how to sequence and how to shoot and how to frame yeah. and, and how to pace a story. Because let's face it, the story is the be-all and end-all of what exactly. we do. Exactly. I think people get too hung up on kit, don't they? And actually, if you're a good storyteller oh. and you know how to frame a shot and... You know, then then you can make a good film with anything. It's the story that matters, Christian. And I've always said this to people. You know, I I don't want to be running around doing my job with an iPhone no. or a baked potato camera. <laughs> you know, it's I I like what I do and I like what I have. But you know, if I found myself in a new story and all I had was my iPhone, then I'd certainly know how to make a film with it. Yeah, exactly. And you you've got to be able to to take that. Anywhere that you go with the kit that you've got or the kit as a freelancer that you can afford to buy. Yeah. And if all you can afford to buy is a small HD camera with a plug-in microphone, well, then use that. Yeah, exactly. And if you, if, you can't afford to, if you can't afford to buy a small set of sticks, well, then use a box. Yeah. You know, get your eye line correct using a box. You don't have to have a set of sticks. Just, you know, think about it for 30 seconds and you can get around the, any problem that you have. Or just tick the stabilization box in FCP 10 <coughs> and jobs are good. And <laughs> <laughs> that's all I do. <laughs> well, you know, if, if you're if you're outputting in HD, but you're filming in 4K, mm. You you know you you can do moving shots now that look like they've been stabilised on a gimbal. Yeah, yeah, that's true. You, you can do amazing stuff on it. Uh, Final Cut Ten has really opened my eyes as to what I can actually do as a filmmaker. Um, without a shadow of a doubt, I'm I'm looking forward to making more films and editing them on my own. Yeah, Ooh. without without a doubt. Well, I mean, that's a good segue there, Paul, just to sort of talk about how, how the job has changed for you over the last few years. Um, you know, so, so, you know, for people who maybe don't know how it works, you know, in sort of regional news, how, how has the job changed for you over the last few years? You know, how have you seen it change and, and what, sort of, what, what sort of work are you doing now that maybe you weren't 10 years ago? Uh, the job hasn't changed. The, the, the physical job of telling local stories hasn't changed it's the technology that's changed and the, and the and the speed with which you can get that story out has completely changed yeah. because when i when i started as i said you know in 97 i i had my camera was on the back, back of a motorbike uh, and that's how i got from job to job my camera was in the case on the back of my motorbike and off i went and they thought that was revolutionary at the time because they had they now had a quick cameraman who could get through traffic. Right. Um, but it was still on the big old SP tapes. Um, whereas now, you know, I can shoot a story and within ten minutes, it's it can be on air or online. Hmm. Um, and and obviously, it's changed from being. Um, uh, it's changed from being the old SP tapes to being digital on very small cards, which are very losable. <laughs> you, only, you, only have to, you only have to drop them once to find out how losable them bloody things are. Yes. Small SD cards, especially. Yeah. You know, the, the amount of times that I've bloody dropped one and I've been looking on the, on the roadside for this tiny little glint of gold strip <laughs> to tell me where it is that they are a nightmare that's the, uh, you know but it's just uh, i don't think the the actual storytelling game has changed it's it's just how we what we film it on and the speed with which that story can get to its end user but i mean one thing um that i know you've mentioned to me previously is how in the last i don't know how long but recently you often get booked now to work sort of solo, um, you know, yeah. to do interviews, to basically produce interviews, you know, shoot them and then feed yeah. them, which presumably is, is a fairly recent phenomena for you, is it? Or is, have you been doing that a long time? I've been, I've been doing that a long time before, the, before it actually became known, known as being a video journalist. Um, I made, uh, where is it? I got this out ready for you. There's, see that there? 
So we're looking at a video that says Army Medics, Exercise Sharp Point. Yeah, and you can see there, look. As featured on the Discovery Channel, yeah, gotcha. Yeah, I made that 19 years ago. I went to Africa with the British Army for five weeks. To Kenya, was that in Kenya? It was in Kenya, yes. Mm. I, I went out there for five weeks on my own with my camera and 10 Beta SP tapes. Yeah. Uh, the army took me there and they brought me back. And I, I basically said to them, look, if you take me over there and look after me whilst I'm there, I'll get you on the local news. Right. And they were happy with that because that's all they wanted. Yeah. Um, luckily for me, the, the, the press officer of the, of the army regiment that was going over there, 19 Air Mobile Brigade, I knew from my time in the army. Oh, and right. I said okay. to yeah, I said to her, look, if you take me over there, I can make a film that will get on the regional TV of where the units are from. Um, and, I, and I did that, but I also, I sold 19 news pieces wow. and three half-hour documentaries for the Discovery Channel. <laughs> that and I is did why that you're a successful own. businessman. Well, the thing is, I, I went out there and filmed it and did all the interviews and the mm. producing and the planning Everything I did on my own, the only thing I needed help with was when I got back was to edit it because yeah. at the time I wasn't an editor and it was it was during that time when editing was coming out of big sort of machine edit suites onto computers. Yeah. Um, instead of instead of tape machines and monitors, it was now tape machines and computer screens. And obviously, even during then, it was it was a damned expensive thing to do. It wasn't like having a laptop today. So I needed help with that. So I got into a sort of uh, a co-production deal with a with a production company based up around here. And between us, you know, we 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 made three half hour documentaries out of it that Dis that Discovery Channel wanted. Wow. Um, and I, it's it's like I say, you know, I was doing that. 19 years ago you know just before my son was born i was doing that yeah so yes and and even today as i as i was explaining to you earlier before the interview that in the last two weeks now when you consider that 14 days in the last two weeks three of those days have been work for for national television because they knew that when they sent me out, they didn't need a journalist. Right. So I got the stories where somebody needed to be interviewed and they knew that I could do that interview without a journalist. Yeah. They send me a list of questions. They give me a general idea of what it is that they wanted. Um, and, and off I go on my own with my kit and, and I'll, 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 I'll do the setup shots. I'll do the interviews. I will make a sequence around that particular interview and, and I get a lot of work out of that simply because I'm willing to do it on my own. Whereas a lot of cameramen out there think, well, that's not for me. I'm a cameraman. I'm not a journalist. I'm not a video journalist. And we think, you know, you're missing out on a lot of work if you don't exactly. learn how to do it or if you're not willing to do it, then you can miss out on an awful lot of work. And to me as a freelancer, that's that's dinner on the table. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, no, I do. And and also, I mean, I don't know if you feel the same, but for me, I much prefer doing it on my own. Last thing I want is someone uh, who I may not necessarily know or particularly like sort of ruining the interview, which sometimes happens because let's face it, some of the producers and journalists we know aren't always the best people people in the world. So yeah, I, I quite like doing it on my own. I don't know if you feel the same or. Uh... I, I do. I just have that nagging feeling in the back of my head that is this what a journalist would do? Because I don't see myself as a journalist as such. You know, I never went to journalism school. Mm. But what I do know is 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 life. Yeah. Is how to talk to people, how to get that nugget of information from somebody. <laughs> That 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 makes the story tick. That makes the story flow. And and if you if you know how to get that, then you don't necessarily have to be a journalist to get that. The only the only time I hesitate is when they ask me to do certain stories 
where I mean, I've interviewed government ministers before on my own. And they like, you know, the BBC or ITN or whoever send me a list of questions and they say, ask this person these questions. And I think to myself, well, I can see why you're asking that, but I, I, I don't have the background in political reporting to see the little nuances of A, the question that I'm going to ask and B, more importantly, the answer they're going to give. Yeah. And whether they're but, talking bollocks or not. Well, exactly. But the thing is, you see, I've got I've got enough about me to realise what a bullshit answer is. Ooh. You know, I, I can yeah. tell when they're avoiding what it is that I'm asking. Pretty much so, any time a politician opens their mouth, basically. <laughs> well, yeah, there is that. <laughs> there is that. But when they when somebody gives you a list of questions to to ask. Yes, you've got to ask those questions, but what you've also got to do is read between the lines yeah. and listen to the answers that they're giving you. Because exactly. a lot of the time when I'm a cameraman with a journalist, I'm monitoring the picture and I'm monitoring the sound, but sometimes I'm not always listening to what they're saying. Yeah. Because the journalist is doing that. When you're doing it on your own, you've got to monitor your pictures, you've got to monitor your sound, but you've also got to listen what they're damn well telling yeah. you because some a little nugget of information could slip you by when you think you can you can latch onto that. And if you're quick-witted enough to ask a follow-up question that is not in your list, then you can get that extra piece of information out of them. And I and I really thoroughly enjoy doing that. Yeah. Yeah, well, I think I think that's uh, the key to, to interviewing, isn't it? To, to have your set list, but actually be able to deviate from that and and to follow up and say, well, what do you mean by that? Or well, can you mm. explain that further? And I think some people who maybe just have a list and read from it will miss will miss a lot because they're just following a list rather than saying, well, actually, no, hold on a minute. What what do you actually mean by that? Can you explain that in more detail? You know that. Yeah. You know, having the confidence to actually just sort of stop and and say that. Well. Uh also with that as well is is I think not being a journalist helps me mm. along those lines because I, I consider myself to be a down-to-earth sort of bloke um, who's reasonably intelligent enough to know when he's being bullshitted to. <laughs> and, and I think if you can get away with being a nice person to the person you're interviewing, then they will accept the questions that, they, that they're going to get, some of which might not be a question that they want. Um, and yeah, you've just got to not go with the flow except uh, as such, but you've just got to have that knowledge of the person you're talking to and, and, and find out before the interview starts what you're dealing with. A lot of the time you can, you can talk to them for four or five minutes and you think this is going to be a hard interview or this is going to be a really easy interview. And sometimes you've met them before and you already know them. So you know what you're going to get. Yeah. But you've also got to realize that um, at that particular time, that particular moment in time, you are the journalist. You are there representing whatever news organization that has sent you there to do the interview. And you've got to do the best you can. Um, and if that means sort of reading between the lines and throwing in a question that they're not expecting, then all the better as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> and, and I really do enjoy doing that, especially to people who are in positions of power and influence. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. No, I think that's great. And would, would you say that, that doing that sort of work on your own has really informed your, your overall journalism? For example, now when you work with reporters, do you find yourself getting much more involved in, in the story and, and throwing questions and saying, oh, ask them this, or, you know, because you now have that confidence from doing more of that? Um, not so much with regional news, no. No. And with, with network news, sometimes, I, I mean, uh, three days ago, I was working with the Royal Correspondent, um, Daniela oh, Ralph. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, she's been all over the news today because, you know, a, a couple of days ago, we went and, and interviewed a, a, an American lady who was married into the aristocracy. Right. Um, because obviously we were preparing for the oh, announcement for the of the royal engagement. Yeah, gotcha. Um, now, for me as the cameraman, during that interview that we did uh, with the Viscountess, 
there was lots of questions I wanted to ask, but I felt it wasn't my place to sort of dip into the interview and say, <laughs> well, hang on a minute, how about this? Mm. You know, I, I, I've got to separate myself from being a cameraman and being a cameraman journalist who's doing it on my own. Yeah. Uh, somebody of Daniela's um, uh, years of working, I wouldn't, I wouldn't dream of interrupting and saying, you know, why not ask her this or why not ask her that? Um, because not only that, we've, you know, we we've spent a good twenty minutes before turning up there talking about exactly what it is we're going to do. Yeah. Um, and I work with a lot of journalists in regional news as well who are outstanding journalists. And I put my trust in them that they're going to ask the right questions. And sometimes, yeah, I get frustrated because you've only got a minute and a half to tell the story sometimes. And I think, you know what, this deserves two and a half, three minutes, but we've got to fit it into a minute and a half because the sport and the weather's on. Yeah. And you think, you know, we've, we've only got half an hour to get the whole program out and then within that half an hour we've got so many stories that we've got to get out and yours is one minute 30 one minute 45 so you've got to pick out the best part the best part of the interview which is normally a sort of 20 second sound bite yeah um and it doesn't and, and it frustrates me sometimes that you can't get to the meat and the bones of what the story is because it would take a half hour documentary to do so and that's just the that's just the frailties of of news i'm afraid yeah i mean um what have you, have you got any tips and i mean I, i'm aware that we've we've been going on a while so i won't keep you too no, that's much all right i've got all but... night <laughs> <laughs> but um have you got any tips for people maybe cameramen who are looking to do more sort of vjing type stuff and and conduct their own interviews any sort of interview tips that you've picked up over the years that you found useful that, that are worth passing on in terms of how to structure your interview, how to frame a question, that sort of thing? Be nice and be professional mm. is the first thing you've got to do. You know, if you come in, if, if, if you turn up for an interview uh, all, all brash and I think I know everything, then you'll, you'll rapidly become undone because invariably the people that you're talking to are the experts in their field. Um, and if you are not a specialised journalist, for example, a political journalist or a science journalist, um, I, 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 can, I can give you an example. I, uh, about a year or so ago, I did a VJ piece for, for BBC One O'Clock News, and it was about the, do you remember the, the, the Malaysian air flight? Yeah, came down. MH, whatever it was, 360 it, or so. Yeah, it, it got lost, basically. Yeah. That no, nobody knew what happened to it. But then things start getting washed ashore over mm. the other side of the Pacific. Yeah, and like in Madagascar and stuff. Exactly, exactly. So I, I, was, I was sent to Southampton to do an interview with uh, the, the professor of... Um, God, what was it? He was a professor in, in oceanography, basically. Right. And I was sent there with this list of sort of questions. And I, I did the whole sort of film around this interview that I knew that I wanted to do. But it rapidly became clear to me that I don't have his expertise in what he's trying to tell me. Yeah. So I basically had to say to him, look, I get what it is you're telling me, but the audience might not get it. Yeah. You, you've got to think of Mrs. Miggins, who's trying to push fish fingers down her kid's throat at tea time, <laughs> exactly. who happens to be watching the news. Tell her, don't tell me, tell her. Because I, I, can, I can get to a certain extent the, the, the things, the, the, the scientific things of waves and currents that you're trying to tell me, but she might not, or he might not. So tell me in layman's terms what it is that got from this point to that point in the story and why that point happened, because this happened over here. And once I'd got that figured out in my own mind how to get around that, then it was it turned into a wonderful interview. Yeah. And I and I got um I got two phone calls after that from people at the BBC saying it was it was a beautiful piece. And it was really well done. And uh, and you know what? A pat on the back like that from people you don't know at the BBC is a hell of a thing to get. It is. Uh, it and is. it spurs you on. 
Yeah, and I think that's a really, it's a really good tip for anyone listening, actually, is, is having the confidence to do that, to stop people and say, look, I appreciate you're the expert in your area, but actually it's going over my head. So, at, you know, is there a way you can dumb yeah. it down a little bit? You know, no acronyms, you know, yeah. no, no long words. Imagine you're explaining it to, you know, to, to me and my mates down the pub. Well, I actually got this guy. I said, look, we've got a, we've got a whacking great big globe here show me on the globe what happened and he did right and i and i, and I said to him okay look i'm going to film this in a sequence so tell me in a sequence what happened here how it got to here and how it got to there and 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 just by stopping him and slowing him down mm. using this globe a i got a sequence of shots and b i got a really simple story explaining a very complex event yeah and 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 that's what got me the plaudits that day from from people I didn't know, yeah. and um, and if you if you can figure out how to do with the, how to do that with different people, you can't go far wrong. Just have a conversation with them, um, and unless you're unless you're out to sort of catch them out, mm. which is very rare in, to be fair, isn't it? It's very rare that you're there to catch them out. Very rare. You know, I always turn up and say, look. I'm not here to get, yes, I'm the press, but I'm not here to give you a hard time. Mm. I'm not here to catch you out and I'm not here to make a fool of you. I want you to tell Mrs. Miggins at home what's happened here. And if you can help me do that by this series of questions, then we can get somewhere. Yeah. yeah. And nine times out of 10, it works. Yeah. No, I think that's great. And I mean, uh, another couple of things I do, I don't know if, if you agree or if it's something you do as well is they'll often give me an answer and I'll say, okay, yeah, that's great. And I'll say, so what you're saying is A, B, C, and D. And they'll go, yeah, that's exactly what I'm saying. I'll say, okay, great. Well, can you tell me that then? And then they'll go, oh, okay, yeah, no, I see what you're saying. Yeah, so the answer to the question is A, B, C, D. And I'll go, there we go, perfect. And you did it all in 30 seconds. <laughs> yeah. You know, I mean... Yeah, it's, um, on, on the side sometimes, I do a little bit of media training. Yeah, and trying to get people to answer questions that are news friendly is a very difficult thing to do mm. because sometimes they'll go off into a ramble. Yes. Or just as they're one... about to give you the perfect soundbite, they'll go off on a tangent. Exactly. Exactly. And, and that's what we try and teach people to do because we, we always, I, I've always, I've saved a couple of my edits that I've done. And I said, look, this is your typical one minute 35 piece. And here is the person that we did an interview about this story. And, and you show them and they, they're, they're quite surprised to, to learn that, that the whole interview that might have taken seven or eight minutes to do is whittled down to 20 seconds. Yeah. And, and this is what you try and tell people, you know, try and tell me in as simple terms as possible why this has happened. And you've got to do it within 30 seconds max. Mm. If not, then we might have to split it across the story, you know, bring you up at the beginning and yeah. then bring you up at the end. But even so, you're still going to have only 20 seconds per bit yeah. in, in that timeline. So you've got, to be, you've got to be succinct about what it is you're saying. And trying to get that through to people sometimes is, is quite difficult. But, but what you've got to remember is, and what anybody new to this industry has got to remember is, is that doing interviews and putting a great big lump of metal, plastic and glass in front of somebody is, is going to be abnormal to them. Yeah. Whereas to me and you, it's quite normal carrying this stuff about sitting down and asking questions. And you think, yeah. well, this guy can't string a, <laughs> this guy can't string a, an answer together. What's the matter with him? Well, it might be the first time in his 45 years of life he sat down in front of a television camera, you know. He's nervous. Yeah, Give him a break. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, no, no, I think there's some brilliant points there, Paul, and I think that's probably a good place to, to wrap it up and let you go and enjoy the rest of your pinotage. So there we go. I think you'll agree that was brilliant, actually. I thought Paul was full of really useful information, especially for those of you who are either freelance now or looking to get into the freelance game. 
Um, we spoke about so much that I've actually got another sort of half hour of that interview that I'm going to put out next week. So do tune in for episode eight, where we talk about the state of the TV news industry and making films for different platforms, such as online platforms, etc. Paul's a brilliant guy, and uh, I'm hoping to have him on the show again in the future, actually, because there's so much we want to talk about, including books about TV camera people, books about journalism, you know, the books we like to read. So we've got loads of things planned for the future. In the meantime, please do subscribe to the podcast. Please leave a five-star review if you think it's worth it. And do give me a follow at Image Junkies on Instagram and Twitter. I've also got imagejunkies.net, the website, where you can enroll for my newsletter and get sort of regular updates. Um, Anyway, all right. Thanks, guys. Thanks for listening and speak to you next week. Cheers.